the book of Philippians, we're in chapter 3, and um, I, what I love about, about us as a church is that we do go through the Bible, um, books of the Bible, verse by verse. I love that, that, that style of teaching, that form of teaching. I think it's the best way to grow. It's not the only way, um, but I think it's probably the best way to grow uh, spiritually, so I love the fact that we do that. Um, so we are in the book of Philippians chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to be starting at verse 12, and, and this part is kind of in, in mid-conversation, if you will, in the middle of a... Uh, um, teaching that Paul is doing um, that uh, Justin started last week. Um, so we're kind of like in the middle of it. So I'm starting like in the middle. Um, a little of the history, Paul was in jail, and this is a letter he wrote from jail. Uh, we got all that history in the beginning. Um, so this is part of that letter. And like I said, I'm kind of starting in midstream, so kind of kind of be mindful of that. Not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. So, uh, Paul's continuing from his uh, previous verses from last week. He said, not that I have already reached the goal. Now, what goal is he talking about? In, in, In last week's message, in verse 10, he says, my goal is to know him, to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So that's the goal he's talking about. He says, that's my goal, but I haven't reached it yet. He said, um, not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already fully mature. So he's talking about, he's admitting that he's not perfect. He's not fully mature as he would like to be. Um, he's not fully conformed to the image of Christ yet, but he's pursuing that as, as his goal is be to conform to the image of Christ and knowing him perfectly, which is ultimately in heaven, which we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about. But that's, that's the goal. He's pursuing that goal. He said, not that I have already reached that goal. And we all need to understand that we are constantly growing. You know, none of us has, have reached the goal yet. <laughs> of being perfectly conformed to the image of Christ. Um, it's a lifetime process. It's called sanctification, and it won't be complete until we get to heaven and get our bodies transformed and all of that good stuff. But right now, we are to be pursuing and, and, and working towards that. Um, we ought to be growing in maturity all the time. We ought to be growing in maturity all the time. And like I said, part of the ways to do that is, is going through the Bible verse by verse and teaching uh, verse by verse. So he says, not that I've already reached the goal, or I'm already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it. He said, I make every effort to make, to make hold of it. Now, the maturity he's talking about is um, the, the word uh, in, in the King James says perfection, but it's not, not talking about perfectly mature. But there are three stages of perfection that the Bible talks about. There's positional perfection in Hebrews chapter 10. For by one offering... He, meaning Christ, has perfected forever those who are sanctified. He has perfected forever those who are sanctified by his sacrifice. So we are positionally perfect or mature, okay? The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. 
He adds, I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. God forget when, when, we, when we accept Christ and repent, God doesn't remember our sins and our lawless acts anymore. And when we do sin afterwards, when we repent, he wipes it clean again. Okay? Now, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. So, positionally, in Christ, we are perfect. Positionally. So, there's positional perfection that we have. There's relative perfection, which I'll talk about in a minute. And then there's ultimate perfection, back in verse 11. The ultimate perfection that Paul talks about. Um, I'm sorry, verse 11, where he says... um, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection, he says in verse 11, which, which Justin talked about last week. And that's the perfect perfection that he's talking about. He said, and he hasn't attained that yet, but that's what he's reaching for. That's what we're hoping for. Uh, so that's the ultimate perfection that we are, that we will get in our, in our resurrected bodies that the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's the ultimate perfection. So there's, there's positional perfection, which we have as a result of being in Christ. There's relative perfection, which I'll talk about in a minute. And then there's the ultimate perfection, where we are perfect ultimately um, as a result of being, resu- being, being, being uh, uh, resurrected. Now, God's standard is always moral perfection. Always. God's standard is always moral perfection. Now... What that means for us is because Christ, who lived in our place, morally perfect, and because we are in Christ now, God sees us, looks at us, and treats us as if we are morally perfect. And that's the only way he can do that. Because his standard is moral perfection, that obviously makes that a problem for us until we get in Christ. And then Christ's, Christ's perfect life gets imputed or transferred to us. And he takes our sin, and that makes us uh, uh, morally perfect in position, okay? So, but, so that's, why, that's why God doesn't kill us, because he doesn't change his standard. God doesn't lower his moral standard because we don't meet it. We can't meet it. He doesn't do that. What's he, what he does is he meets the standard for us. Amen? He meets the standard for us in Jesus Christ, and therefore now he can look at us, um, in Christ. So, now he says, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. He says, I make every effort. He's talking about, he's using an analogy of a sprinter. Paul is talking about aggressive, energetic action. In other words, he's pursuing this with all of his might. He says, I make every effort to reach this goal. Um, that's my life's goal. He said, I make every effort to reach the goal of, 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 of relative perfection in this life. Um, and we ought to do the same thing. Um, we ought to do whatever it takes for us to grow in Christ spiritually. The Bible talks about us growing in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, constantly growing. And we ought to make every effort to do that. Whatever it takes for us to grow spiritually, we ought to do that. We ought to pursue that. So Paul says, I'm making every effort to do that. To, I'm making every effort to take hold of it. To take hold of what? Being conformed to the image of Christ, that perfection, because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. He says, um, I'm t- I make every effort to take hold of it. Some translations say, to make it my own. 
Okay, so he says the reason I'm doing that is because, first of all, I've been taken hold of by Christ. So Paul says, I'm taking hold of this. I'm making this my own, my goal, this my own, because, first of all, Christ has made me his own. So you see here, uh, uh, and, and there's a, there's a, the same Greek word is, is, is used in, the, in, in being taken hold of and, and making effort to take hold of. One of the words is passive and one of is active. He says, um, I make every effort to, to take hold of it that's, that's, that's active because I have been taken hold of by Christ. That's passive. Now, because Christ has already taken hold of me and made me his own, Paul says, I'm making every effort to take hold of to make it the goal my own. So it's because Christ has already reached for me. Therefore, I'm going to reach for the goal. So there's a balance of God's call and then the believer's response. So God calls us, makes us his own, and then we respond. It's kind of like that um, um, uh, uh, back in, back in, 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 in verse uh, 12, I think it is, um, in chapter 2. Um, I'm trying to remember the verse. Let me read it. <laughs> I'm not as young as I used to be. Philippians chapter, chapter 2. For it is God who's working in you, which we talked about before, enabling you both to will and to act for his good purpose. So it's God working in you, but you're acting. And it's kind of the same concept here. I'm making it my own because Christ has already made me his own. Does that make sense? I'm taking hold of it because I've already been taken hold of. So it's that same concept, that same principle that Paul is talking about here. He says, I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. And it's important for us to remember that um, the Bible says we love him because he first loved us in 1 John. We love him because he first loved us. It's always because God is the one who initiates. We are saved because God initiated. God came after us. None of us sought him. The Bible talks about in Romans chapter 3. None of us were seeking God. None. There was none who was righteous, no, not one. God is the one who sought after us. So that is always the case. That is always the case. Whatever we do, when we decide anything, it's because God is working in us. When we start, before we get saved, and we start thinking about God just out of the clear blue, for no apparent reason it may seem, we start thinking about God, going to church, whatever the case may be, or because of situations going on in our life, it's because God has initiated. He's already started before the foundation of the world. And so now it's your time. So the only reason you start thinking about God and going to church is because God, before the foundation of the world, says, Chris, come here. Jordan, come here. Justin, come here. That's the only reason you start doing that. It's not because, and I know, and I understand the songs we sing, (laughs) that say things like, I decided to make Jesus my choice, and I decided to do this. And And there's a truth to that in one sense, but the question is, why have I decided? The only reason I decided is because God decided. So, you take hold of it and make it your own and pursue is because Christ had already made you his own before the foundation of the world. That's an awesome teaching. Everybody in the church doesn't believe that, but it's biblical. 
And so we believe that here at Eternal City because we're a biblical church. Amen? Amen. All right. <laughs> Verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. Again, he's saying, I have, I'm, I'm reminding you, I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't reached, I'm not, I'm not fully mature, I'm not where I want to be. I haven't taken hold of it yet. But one thing I do, he said, yeah, I'm not there yet, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. He said, I'm not there yet, but one thing I do, forgetting. He said, if I don't do anything else, I'm going to forget. And what am I forgetting? I'm forgetting what is behind. And I'm reaching forward to what is ahead. Paul is not, he said, I'm forgetting what is behind me. He's not resting on either his past victories, which he had a lot of. Paul, we're talking about Paul here, the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So he had some victories. So he said, I'm not resting on my past victories or my past laurels, neither am I dwelling on my past failures, which he also had. He's not resting on either of those because if you, if you, if you, if you uh, constantly think about your past failures, that can leave you in despair. And, and, and some of us have to, dwelling on the past can, can, can bring discouragement. When you, when you dwell on your past failures, that can bring discouragement and leave you in despair. And we all, God doesn't want us living in despair and living in the past. You know, now we learn from the past, we acknowledge the past, but we don't stay there. Nobody drives their car looking through the rearview mirror. You ought not to. If you do, let me know. <laughs> There's a reason the windshield is so much bigger than the rearview mirror. Why? Because you're constantly looking out front, forward to what's ahead of you. You may need to look in the rearview mirror periodically, and it's okay to do that, even in your life. It may, it may be okay to, to reflect on the past and even learn from your failures, but you don't stay there. You go right back to the windshield because you have to keep moving forward. Notice the forward motion in, the, in these verses. Nobody, even in, even in a race, in a hurdle, when people are running hurdles in a track meet, if they knock over the hurdles, they don't stop to go back and pick up the hurdle, and nobody does that. Why? Because there's more hurdles coming that you've got, to, that you got to, that to leap over. So, yeah, you may knock over some hurdles in your life, running this race, reaching for, toward the goal, and you will, but don't, don't live in the past. Don't, when you, when you knock over a hurdle, repent, confess, deal with it, and move on. Keep moving forward. He says, I'm forgetting what is behind me. I'm not allowing that to hinder my progress forward. He said, and I'm reaching forward to what is ahead. Now, um, at the same time, we don't uh, uh, rest on our past victories, and we have some. We don't stay there either, because that can bring about pride and, and, and complacency. You can, come, you can become complacent when you realize you have so many victories, but you've done so great in the past. 
You can become complacent and say, oh, you know, I've, I've done pretty good these past six months. I'm good. I think I'll just chill. That's not good either. Paul said, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not staying in either one of those places, either my past victories or my past failures. I celebrate the victories. I thank God for them. That's the only reason I got them is because God's grace has allowed me to be victorious in whatever area that is, but I got to keep moving. If I've won this race, there's more races coming. I didn't knock over any hurdles in this race, and I came in first place. Great, but there's another race tomorrow. So I can't just stay here and celebrate at the finish line this victory because there's another race tomorrow, and I don't know how that one's going to turn out. So there's a constant forward motion. He says, forgetting what's behind, I'm reaching forward, ahead, I pursue. Pursuit is moving forward. Nobody pursues by going back. (laughs) That's not pursuit. Pursuing is moving forward. So there's constant forward motion in these verses, and that's how we ought to live life, constantly moving forward, growing always in our faith. And and sometimes you may need need to stop and say, okay, I don't feel like or think that I'm moving forward at all. Why not? And just evaluate where you are. It's okay to do that. The Bible says examine to see whether you're in the faith. It's okay to do that. We need to do that periodically. Just stop and say, okay, how am I doing spiritually? How am I doing? Am I moving forward? I'm not, and this, and we are not competing against each other. So don't, don't compare yourself to the next person. I don't say, okay, am I moving forward? Am I keeping up with Chris or is he ahead of me? Am I keeping up with Gus or... No, 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 no. We're not competing with each other. Okay, God, how am I doing? Um, are you pleased with me right now? Am I, am, I, am I moving forward the way I should be? And if not, why not? And if not, examine why. Okay, it's because of this, that, and the other. Okay, and I need to deal with that. I need to get rid of this, that, and the other. This, this, this causing me to not move forward. We ought to constantly be moving forward. Don't beat yourself up. I'm talking about having a pity party and beating yourself up. But just examine where you are. Examine where you are. Um, however often you choose to do that, just examine and say, okay, let me see where I'm at. If I've seen any growth in my life this past, in 2019. You may want to do that at the end of every year. Let me reevaluate. Have I grown at all in 2019? We're going into 2020. Have I made any progress forward? Or have I dwelt on the past too much and it's hindered my progress forward? It's okay to do that. Okay, so he says, I make... Uh, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal. That goal, again, is his aim, a mark on which you fix the eye. So, so Paul has a, has a target, so to speak, that he's, that he's looking for, that goal. He said, I make as my goal, my aim, the prize promised. What prize is he talking about? Perfect fellowship with Christ in heaven, ultimately. That's the prize he's looking forward to. The crown of righteousness. Verse 20 in, uh, in, uh, in uh, chapter, in, um, chapter 3, verse 20. I'm going to read something real quick. In the same, in the same chapter, down in verse 20, which we'll hear about next week, but I, w- I want to read it real quick. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body 
by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. And that's what Paul is, is reaching for. That's the goal he's reaching for. He said he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. That's, what he's, that's, what he's, that's his goal. That ought to be our goal too, to be transformed into the likeness of Christ's glorious body so that I won't sin anymore. What a, what a wonderful, awesome thought. Well, we don't ever have to sin again. Once our body gets transformed into his glory, into the likeness of his glorious body. And that's the goal Paul is talking about. He pursues my goal, the prize promise. That's the prize. Second Timothy chapter four. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time for my departure is close. Now he's talking about his death, and this is Paul's last letter that he wrote is Second Timothy. And he knows he's about to die. But I love the terminology he uses. He says, my departure is close. He didn't say my death is close. He said, my time of departure is close. It's at hand. I love that. I love the way he put that. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me in the future the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. He said, there is reserved for me in the future the crown of righteousness. That's Paul's goal, to get to that place where he gets the crown of righteousness and, and Christ says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's our only, that's our only goal, church. Our goal ought to be hear, just, just hear God say, well done. That's all. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That's our goal. That's, 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 that's what we are striving for, you know, not um, anything else. Ultimately, that's what I want to hear. And I know the Bible talks about rewards, and that's great. But I can, if I could just hear him say, well done, Eddie, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to be. And that's what Paul, that's the prize he's, he's, he's living for. That's what he's, that's what he's striving for. And see, the thing is, it's already ours. You know, the prize is already, Christ has won the prize for us. But we're, 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 we're striving, we're, we're, we're reaching for that goal, like that, that whole dichotomy of I've been taken hold of, because I'm, I'm, I'm taking hold of it because I've already been taken hold of. Same thing, the, the crown is already ours, the crown of righteousness. It's already ours. All right. Um, forgetting what's behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. The heavenly call in Christ Jesus. The heavenly call is the upward above call to a higher place. The heavenly call. The call is the effectual call to salvation first and foremost. The heavenly call in Christ Jesus. He says, um, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to start at verse 4. I always thank my God for you because of God's grace given to you in Christ Jesus, that by him you were made rich in everything, in all speaking and all knowledge, as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you, not, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also, he, he will also confirm you to the end. Did you hear that? He will also confirm you to the end. That, we'll pause here, 
is assurance of eternal security. That's it. He will confirm you till the end, he says. You're going to make it. Because, he says, he will confirm you to the end. Blameless. You will stand before God blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Verse 9, by him you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the call he's talking about. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call. That's the same call uh, Paul talks about in verse 9. By him you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. Same call. Same call. Um, Hebrews chapter uh, 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers and companions, in a heavenly calling. There it is again. Therefore, holy brothers and companions, in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. So when Paul talks about this call, he's talking about the, the heavenly call, the effectual call, first of all, to salvation, and then it's a heavenly call, an upward call, ultimately. Okay, so that's what he's talking about when he's talking about the heavenly call. So I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. All who are mature should think this way. So what's he talking about? I talked about the, uh, 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 the relative perfection. The maturity he's talking about is, is, is um, spiritual maturity here on this, on, this, on this earth, here in this life. So if you're spiritually mature, Paul's saying you should think like this. All the stuff he just mentioned about, he said you ought to think just like that. If you're spiritually mature, that ought to be your thinking. So, what does the Bible say about us being spiritually mature? Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Brothers, do not be childish in your thinking. So he says, don't think like a kid. Don't think like you're seven years old. You're an adult. Don't think like a child. He says, don't be childish in your thinking, be, but be infants in regard to evil. If you want to be childish and immature in anything, be that when it comes to sin. Immature when it comes to evil, be immature. An adult in your thinking. There's a lot of, we ought to be, uh, like I said, striving for perfection. We ought to reach a certain level of maturity. Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 5, I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. Hebrews chapter 5. Um, that's right, I didn't put that one up there. Hebrews chapter 5. Starting at verse 12. And it reads, For though by this time you ought to be teachers. This is Paul, unknown author in the book of Hebrews. <laughs> For by this time you ought to be teachers. He said, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of God's revelation. He said, by now, you ought to be a teacher. You've been saved for X number of years, and you're still childish in your thinking. You ought to be able to teach, but somebody still needs to teach you simple stuff. Don't let that be able to be said about you as a believer. Like I said, we're not competing with each other, but there is... If you've been saved 10 years, there ought to be some level of maturity in you. And that's what, that's what he's talking about here. He says, by now, you ought to be teachers. 
You ought to be mature enough to teach somebody. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again. He said the basic principles of God's revelation. You need somebody to teach you still about what it means to be saved. You need somebody to teach you still about baptism. You need somebody to teach you still about who Jesus is. And you've been saved for X number of years. He says you're immature. And so that's what he's talking about. There's a a relative maturity that we ought to have as we walk and grow with Christ. And And I'm not saying this to make anybody feel bad. It's just, once again, think about where you are. You know, um, am I as mature as I should be and need to be at this stage of my salvation in life? Just ask yourself that question, that's all. You know, and if not, you know, say, okay, you know what, I need to step up my, I need to step up my game. I need to step up, I need to, I need to study more, I need to, I need to do whatever it takes to grow so that I can, I can teach at least a coworker or something. You know what I'm saying? At least a family member or something. I can, when, they, when they come to me with a question, I can say, yeah, you know what? I know the answer to that. Because they should expect me to know something at a certain time in my life of my salvation. Okay, you've been saved for seven years. Let me ask you this. And you ought to be able to answer that question. You know. So that's all, that's all I'm saying. Um, be mature. Grow up. Grow up spiritually. Um, none of us will ever arrive. Like Paul said, we haven't reached the goal. We're not there. But I ought to be able to answer some of the basic questions about salvation. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of God's revelation. You need milk and not solid food. Babies live off of milk when they're first born for a certain amount of time. After a while, they don't need milk anymore. They, can, they, can start, they start chewing. They grow teeth and they start chewing. And so Paul is saying, you still need milk and not solid food. I can't even give you deep stuff from Scripture because you'll choke on it because you're still a baby. Whereby you really ought to be able to chew this like nothing. I can't even talk to you about deep things in Scripture. And there are some. There's a whole lot of them. But Paul said, I can't, I, can't, I can't even deal with it because you're just too immature. You're still, still an infant. People still need to rock you. And you're how old spiritually? You need milk and not solid food. Everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness. He said, if you live on milk, you ain't got no experience with what it means to be righteous. You're inexperienced on what, on what it means to be righteous. Because, here's why, because he's an infant. Babies don't know nothing about righteousness. They know nothing about righteousness. <laughs> Phillips and Kristen's new baby knows nothing about righteousness. <laughs> he's an infant. He's immature. But solid food is for the mature, what he's talking about here. He said, all who are mature ought to think this way. All who are mature and can handle solid food ought to think this way. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. See, when you're mature, 
You can distinguish between good and evil, right and wrong, because you've grown. And, and, and when you grow spiritually to a certain place, some things don't need to be explained to you because you're mature and you can discern watching TV shows and you can discern between good and evil. You can discern when the devil's trying to pull the wool over your eyes or over somebody else's eyes because I've studied enough scripture to know what's going on right there. And it, and it happens a lot in our culture. I, 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 I watch, I try to keep up with stuff that's going on in the culture. And, um, and some things, to me it seems, and not because, I, some things to me just are almost obvious. Some of the stuff that's going on, um, the world is trying to be pulled over people's eyes when it comes to certain things. Um, and, I'm, and I ask myself, I wonder if other people see this. I wonder if other people understand what is happening here. Not because I'm deep or anything like that. Um, some things I think are, are, can, should be. After, after a while, some things ought, ought to be obvious to us as believers, as believers in Christ. Because, you know, we have the, we have the word, we have the gift of discernment, the spirit of God who, can, who will reveal things to us as we mature and as we grow. So... He says, therefore, all who are mature, spiritually mature, should think this way. What way is he talking about? Humbly, realizing, first of all, that we're not perfect, that we're not there yet, and that we ought to have an, have an attitude of pursuing the prize. We ought to think the same way Paul did about himself. When he says, I haven't, I haven't, we're talking about the Apostle Paul. He said, we ought to think like him and realize, I haven't attained it yet. Um, but maturity, see, when you're mature, in one sense, okay, when you're spiritually mature, you realize that you haven't reached it. Because I'm mature, I know that I ain't there yet. Especially when you start studying scripture, and when you realize um, what God requires of us and what the Bible teaches about how we should live, and you, when, when you're spiritually mature, you realize, man, I've fallen short so much in righteous living in holy living, in pleasing God. And I'm not talking about, like I said, beating yourself up or anything, but just realizing I got a ways to go. You know, so if you're mature, you realize um, I haven't arrived. If you, if you ever meet somebody who thinks they've arrived, they're immature. <laughs> That's a sign of immaturity. When they say, you know what? You know, I'm really almost like Jesus. <laughs> if somebody ever says that to you, there's somebody who's very immature arrogant, prideful, and probably not saved. Because <laughs> you don't think like that when you're mature. You realize how, how far uh, you have to go. So anybody, everybody who's mature thinks like Paul, thinks like that, spiritual maturity. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. If you have a different opinion about this, he said, God will show you. He said, if, uh, if, you, if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you. Notice how Paul trusted God to, to, to um, reveal to people what they didn't agree with or what they didn't see and what he was saying. He didn't beat them up or something. He said, if you disagree, he said, okay, pray about it. <laughs> what he said, pray about it. God will show you. 
God will show you whether you're mature or not. God will show you where you need to grow. God will show you. You know, he said, and, he, and he trusts that to God. He trusts that to God. We are, and if you think differently about anything, God will reveal also this to you also. So, and even, and, and just in general, anytime you hear, whether it's me or Chris or anybody who's teaching something that you question, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, you can go and see God about it. There's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, we advise that. Please, by all means. Go check us out. Because believe it or not, we can be wrong. <laughs> um, but if it's something that you, don't want, that you don't want to agree with, see, that's different. You know, not because I said it or Chris said it, because you just don't like it. See, that's different. Okay, God will reveal it to you. If you really are willing, to, if you really want to know, Scripture in Jeremiah says, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. When you really seek God with all your heart and really want to know the truth about what he's saying, God will reveal it to you. Usually, most of the time, it's real plain. All you got to do is read. Most of the time. Now, sometimes you might have to go a little deeper. But most of the time, just read Scripture. Scripture is right there, usually. But if you think differently, God will reveal it to you. In any case, verse 16, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. In any case, we should live up to. We should walk in line with the truth that we've already learned. We should walk in rank. That's what it means, order in rank, to keep progress in sanctification. Whatever I've already learned, even if, it's some, even if something that I don't understand, I don't agree with, whatever I already learned, Paul says, okay, live up to that truth. Whatever truth that you already have, live up to that. Whatever truth you've already learned, you ought to already be walking in that and living up to that, whatever that may be, however simple it may be, or even difficult it may be, live up to that. Paul said, at least live up to that truth that you've already learned. Even if you don't get this one yet, at least live up to what you've already learned, what you've already attained, what you've already arrived at. The principles that you've already been taught. He says, live up to that. Live by those principles that you've already been taught. They're already brought you to this point. I'm already at a certain spiritual level, and it's because I've already applied certain spiritual principles in my life. Okay, Paul says, okay, live up to that. Just keep, keep moving. Live up to that. And see, sometimes, sometimes we haven't even lived up to the truth that we've already learned, and we want more. You know, sometimes, and, and this is, and I think, People who are teachers, myself, and those who are teachers, I think can be guilty of this. We can want more, more, and more, more Bible, more Bible, more teaching, just because we love the Bible and we love truth. But at the same time, I'm not living this truth that I learned six months ago. But because I just love knowledge, which the Bible says puffs up. And because we can be prideful, become prideful in our knowledge. And we have, we're not even living up to the truth that we've attained. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just taking in so much. I'm just greedy and just wanting more Bible. Just give me more scripture. Give me more books to read. Let me go to more conferences. <laughs> now that's fine and dandy, but have you applied the stuff you learned at the last conference you went to? 
Have you applied the stuff you learned in the last three books you read? Or are you just taking in information? He said, live up to what you've already attained. And it's easy to do that. Like I said, usually for people who are teachers and who, and who love to study and that kind of thing, it's easy for us to do that because we just love to learn without taking the time to apply what we've learned. So, in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Paul's goal, he said, I, not that I've, I've, I've attained, I haven't reached it yet. My goal is fellowship, ultimate fellowship with my Savior, the one who apprehended me first, the one who made me his own first. Because of that, I'm attaining to this goal. Now, we will never reach that goal in this life because of sin. We will never reach that goal. But we ought to come as close to the goal. Before we die, we ought to come as close to the goal as we can, if you will. Now, because Christ met the goal for me, he already attained it. I can have fellowship with God and by his grace pursue the goal. So when we are celebrate communion, we are celebrating the fact that even though I'm not perfect, I'm not as mature as I should be, I'm not there yet, because of Calvary and what Christ did, because of the gospel, I can celebrate what Christ did. And I can not rest in my laurels, not rest in my victories, not, not uh, 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 cry about my failures, but pursue. And I will make every effort, starting today, I'm going to make every effort to make that my goal, to attain that. And I thank God that through his grace, and only through his grace, are we able to do that. Only through the grace of God are we able to pursue the goal as Paul did. So as we get ready to take communion, let us not uh, uh, rest in our laurels, let us not live in the past, but let us celebrate the fact that tomorrow there's a new mercy for me. Every day is a new mercy for me. So I can start again tomorrow on this goal and, and pursuing this goal Monday, I can start over. Tuesday, I can start over. Wednesday, I can start over. Every day, there's a new mercy. When I fell on, on Tuesday, Wednesday's tomorrow. When I fell on Wednesday, there's Thursday. When I fell on Thursday, there's Friday. Every day, there's a new mercy. But I'm constantly pursuing. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. I've I, I knocked over some hurdles this week. But you know what? Next week is a new race. And I'm not going to worry about the hurdles that I knocked over last week or yesterday, because there's some more hurdles coming. And God, I thank you that I don't, have to, I don't have to cry over the hurdles. Because Jesus defeated the ultimate hurdle at Calvary. Amen? And so, as we take communion, let's worship God, let's praise God, let's thank Him that we are in the race. The fact that I'm in the race is the grace of God. The Bible talks a lot about us, about the Christian life being like a race. We are in the race, church. We're not competing against each other, but we're all running towards the same goal. We're all running towards the same goal. And we can run joyfully 
or we can run in misery. I prefer and choose to run joyfully because Christ apprehended me first. He made me his own. And as I take communion today, I'm going to celebrate the fact that he made me his own. So I'm going to make this goal my own. Amen? Amen.